can be turning to Romans chapter 1. We're going to spend almost all of our time in Romans tonight. When Brother Ken prayed this evening, he prayed that what I had to say would change your lives. And I will tell you that this sermon is entirely capable of that. Not because I'm saying it, or not because of the way I organized it, or not of anything else, except the fact that it's almost all the Word of God. And the Word of God is what does the changing. Uh, Some preachers can make it a little more interesting, or a little less interesting, or a little more entertaining, or, or something, but if they're preaching the Word of God, it's got the power to change lives. So that's what we're looking at tonight. In fact, the concept that we're looking at is really, truly, when you think about it, uh, the universal answer to all of life's problems. Now, I would have mentioned that this morning, but I figured, you know, we might not be able to seat everybody you know, tonight. People would go out and tell their friends that tonight we're going to learn the secret to the universal answer to all of life's problems. And that sounds a little like hyperbole, but it's, it's actually true. Uh, not, not physical problems and not a tornado and things like that, but if you've got relationship problems, if you've got sin problems in your life, you've got relationship problems in your marriage, you've got problems in your church, this is the answer. This will fix them. So we're going to study the concept, the understanding of what Paul calls flesh versus spirit. Flesh versus spirit. And we'll see if we can uh, draw some conclusions and learn a little bit about that concept itself that really will fix problems. All right, we're going to start in Romans. I said we're going to be there most of the night. So first thing we got to do is see who this is written to to make sure it applies to us. And you go to the first part of Romans chapter 1 there, the first seven verses, you get down in verse 6 and it says, uh, including you who are called to belong to Christ Jesus, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. So he's writing to the Roman Christians, all of the Christians in Rome, people who are the saints, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So this applies to us. This is written to Christians. Now, you've got to go a ways to find that out. Uh, Paul, sometimes when I'm reading Paul's writings, I get sidetracked and start trying to figure out how long the sentence is. Uh, verses 1 through 7, that's all one sentence. As a, in fact, that's why I get sidetracked. I stopped and counted. There's 132 words in that sentence, Brenda, with 10 commas. Uh, that's quite a sentence. And that's the way Paul writes. He puts all sorts of things in there. Uh, if you break it down to the basics, it says, I, Paul, to all those who are in Rome. So that's the gist of the first seven verses. Now, he gives you lots of other interesting information, but he's writing to Christians. So we know this is not written to people of the world. It's not written to alien sinners or pagans or anything. It's written to Christians. And that will help us as we go through and look at this flesh versus spirit thing. All right. Now let's jump over to uh, chapter 8, where he 
begins, he mentions it a few times before, but in 8 where he gets pretty serious about this concept of flesh versus spirit. In fact, the little heading on my paragraph at chapter 8 says, Life in the Spirit. And Paul compares that to life in the flesh. Now, we jump to chapter 8, but we jump too fast because the first thing it says is, Therefore. So we've got to go back and see what the therefore is. Uh, read the sentence before it, the paragraph before it, the chapter, maybe all the whole book. And we read the first seven chapters. And what Paul says in there is he's explained justification by grace. He's started out and he said, you know, here's the pagans, the way they live. Here's the Jews, the way they live. They think they've got the law. Here's us, the way we live. How many of us are righteous? Of all of those people in the world, how many are righteous? None, he says. None are righteous. And the only way you can be justified is by grace, uh, by faith through grace. So that's what he spent the first seven chapters doing. And so he gets to chapter 8 and he says, Therefore, because of this justification by grace thing, because of that, what? There is now... No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Condemnation is a, a judicial term. Uh, the judge declares someone innocent or declares them guilty, and he has declared us innocent. And once the judge does that, there's no condemnation. Now, I know that makes some folks a little nervous, but that's gospel truth. Uh, we've been justified by faith through grace, and there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, he says, The law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Uh, God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own Son, etc. Go to verse 4. In order that the righteous requirement of the law must be might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Okay, here we go. Now we're starting to get to this concept. He's writing to Christians. He says you're justified by grace, so there's no condemnation for you. But we walk differently than the world walks. We don't walk by the flesh. We walk by the Spirit. And he, he pairs these two things, flesh and spirit, over and over again in all of his writings, but especially here in Romans. He goes on to explain there's a big difference between saved people and unsaved people. Okay? Not just their destination, but how they live life. Look at verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds... On things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law. Indeed, it can't. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. All right? So he's, he's t- 
told these Christians that he's writing to, and us as we read it today, that we've been justified by faith. There's no condemnation for us, but we live differently. Some people live by the flesh, according to the flesh. They walk by the flesh. Christians walk by the Spirit. Now he gives us a little more information. Let's jump down to verse uh, 12 about our obligation of how we walk. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So he says, okay, you've been justified. There's no condemnation for you. But you still live differently. You set your mind on things of the Spirit. And by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the flesh. Okay? Uh, It's not all clear yet, but we're getting there. He's building his case. He's educating us here a little bit. We have an obligation as Christians to walk by the Spirit. One translation of that verse, I looked at a number of other translations. One, the New Living Translation, which isn't always very whiffy, but this time I kind of liked it. It said, therefore, dear brothers, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. Your obligation is to do what the Spirit teaches you to do. Christians walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh. Now, that translation is interesting. You have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. All right, let's take a side trip here. Can anybody explain this sinful nature thing to me? You know how that works? I'm not expecting an answer because I don't know the answer. I can't explain the sinful nature. I don't know exactly how that works. I know it works because Paul talks about it all the time and other writers talk about it. It's Bible terminology all the way through that there is an outer man and an inner man. Okay, There's a body and there's a soul. There's flesh and there's spirit. There's, there's body or spirit and heart and mind. All through it compares these. And Paul says over and over that, you know, his mind, his spirit wants to do this, but the flesh makes him want to do this. And unfortunately, he never explains where this sinful nature is. He just calls it sinful nature. So whatever your answer is to how it works, I'd pretty much have to accept it. Now, there's some things I wouldn't accept. Uh, we didn't inherit it, the, the guilt of it, from Adam. We, we don't have original guilt from Adam. But the sinful nature, we don't know exactly how that works. At least I don't. There is a sin nature. There is a flesh it's something that's without the influence of the spiritual nature. 
And as I thought about how do I explain that and how do I figure it out myself, uh, I got one kind of example that might help. Uh, we went to, well, we went to Brahms the other night. And when we walked in, there was a family just coming out of the ice cream line and had three little girls. And one was just a toddler. She barely get along, but she was doing pretty well. And her daddy was carrying her ice cream cup. Okay. This little toddler was at his knee walking along with her arms up going, mine, mine, mine. She did that all the way from the ice cream line to their table. Okay, that was her ice cream. She wanted it right then. Okay, we sat fairly close to them, and once she got her ice cream cup and started eating it, she didn't make a peep. She was good for about ten, fifteen minutes. She worked that ice cream over. Okay. And then, about the time she finished it, all the rest of them finished it, and mom and dad said, let's go. And the other two girls got up, and the parents got up, and she locked herself in the corner of the booth and said, more, more, more. And her mom finally drug her out to the car. Okay, And that didn't bother me. I mean, that's the way kids are. But I was sitting there thinking, what's that toddler making her decisions based on? What's the only thing affecting her behavior? Flesh. You can call it the sinful nature. You can call it flesh. You can call it anything you want to call it that is biblical. But that's the only thing driving her. Okay, What she wants... What feels good to her is all that matters right now. Now, I kind of look at that and think, okay, we got a fleshly nature. We want to please ourselves somehow. We want to do what feels good. We want to do what the sinful nature tells us. Okay. Now, in her case, what will happen is the world will, and her family hopefully, will socialize her somewhat. Okay? She will be taught, okay, that's not acceptable. Okay? You gotta start thinking about other people. The people in the next booth don't want to hear you squeal and cry all the time. So you gotta stop that. Uh, when she gets to school, the other kids will socialize her a little bit. Okay? If she's allowed to get away with that till she goes to kindergarten, the other kindergartners will say, now that doesn't play here. Yeah. So the world socializes some of that out of us just in the flesh. But God says, when we become a Christian, the Holy Spirit regenerates us and makes us a new creature where the sinful nature can't control us anymore. Now, we can still listen to the sinful nature. doesn't make us sin-free overnight, but it can't control us. And Paul says we have an obligation to walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh. Which brings me to the conclusion that we get to decide. 
Okay, now we're getting to the ultimate secret here. There's two ways to live, and we get to choose. We get to choose whether we live by the flesh or we live by the spirit. Anybody ever see a cartoon with Porky Pig or Yosemite Sam or anybody with a little angel on one shoulder and a little demon on the other one? Okay. I'm not sure that's exactly how it works, but about as good a picture as I got. Yeah, the, <laughs> the flesh says, whispers in the air, do this. And the little angel, the spirit, says, no, you better do this. And the little cartoon characters got to decide which one to do. Okay. Now, like I say, I don't think there's a little angel and a demon there, but there is, according to Paul, a sinful nature and a spiritual nature. And he says Christians listen to, walk by, live by, live in the spiritual side. Jump over to Romans 13. Now, he mentions this concept a lot of times in between, but we're just picking some key ones. Romans 13, verse 13. Still writing to these saved Roman Christians that have no condemnation in Christ, but have an obligation to walk in the Spirit. Verse 13, he says, Let us, let's choose, if you want to read it that way, let us walk properly as in the daytime. And he's been talking about evil likes night and day to, daytime is when good things happen and all that. So he says, let's walk properly as in the daytime. Not in orgies and drunkenness and not in sexual immorality and sensuality, nor in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So he's telling Christians who have no condemnation, but have an obligation to walk by the Spirit, that they can choose to listen to the flesh, to gratify its desires, or they can decide to give no occurrence, no, uh, what's he say there, give no uh, provision for the flesh. Just don't listen to it. Do what the Spirit says. Now, you'll notice, and a lot of times we only read half of Paul's lists, because he usually he starts his lists out a lot with stuff that we don't have that much problem with. Uh, orgies and drunkenness and sexual immorality and sensuality. Uh, sexual things. I mean, that's the way we think of flesh. But what's he say right after that? What's he include? It's not just immorality stuff. It's not just lust and all that. The next five things he puts are quarreling and jealousy. Anybody ever know a Christian that quarreled with other Christians? Well, what do you know? That Christian, at least in that instant chose to walk by the flesh. It was the decision they made. Paul says, let's not do that. Let's not walk by the flesh. Let's not give any occasion to that. Let's not gratify the desires of the flesh. Let's do what the Spirit says. 
Okay. That's the basic concept. Now let's flesh it out just a little bit. I guess that sounds funny, doesn't it? Uh, let's <laughs> explain it a little bit more. Go over to Galatians. Chapter 5, and most of you know right where we're going, because Paul kind of expands this whole thing and puts it all in one neat little paragraph almost. Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. Okay, now Romans 8, when we looked at that, uh, the little heading said, life in the Spirit. Look at the little heading over verse 16. Keep in step. With the Spirit, my translation says. So he's on the same topic here. Listen to what he says. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Let's stop right there. Here's another big thing we got to write in our flesh versus spirit folder. The flesh and the spirit are not just two alternative ways. They are always opposed to each other. Okay? The flesh wants the opposite of what the spirit wants. The spirit wants the opposite of what the flesh wants. They're against each other, and the flesh desires are designed to keep you from doing what you and the Spirit want you to do. Okay? They're always opposed. Okay? So, I mean, if we had time, we could think through that, and we could make a big list, get us a whiteboard up here and make a big list. What kind of things does the Spirit want? I mean... Bible writes some things down, what the Spirit commands, what the Spirit wants. 1 Corinthians 1.10, Paul told the Corinthians, he said, The Spirit, Jesus, by me, commands you, I want unity. I want there to be peace in Corinth. So if we know that's what the Spirit wants, what's the flesh want? Disunity. Disruption. Not peace, wants fighting, wants the opposite of it. Paul warns us here, says the flesh is always opposite of the spirit. It, it, they're against each other. Okay. Uh, where were we? Verse uh, 18. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under law. Now, he says, in case you don't understand, let me illustrate. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. Okay? I'm, I'm okay with those things. You know, I hadn't been to a witch's coven and, man, I can't remember when. I don't do that sorcery thing. Okay? But go past the next comma and start to get a little tougher. He says the works of the flesh are enmity, strife, jealousy, Fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Now, that's the works of the flesh. You read that list again. 
Do you ever know a Christian that you saw throw a temper tantrum? Have a fit of anger? What do you know right then? They chose to live by the flesh. They didn't choose to walk by the Spirit. They chose to walk by the flesh. Now, when I say chose, maybe they didn't think about it. Maybe they just let the flesh take over. And we do that a lot. We don't think about it. But in that instance, they chose to walk by the flesh, along with everything else in there. Strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, division. You ever heard of a congregation of the Lord's people? that had dissensions and divisions? What do you know? You know at least somebody's walking by the flesh. Maybe there's some real doctrinal disagreement. Uh, There might have been one sometime in the history of churches, but in general, they didn't anything close to that. And even if it is, they can be worked out If people walk by the Spirit, if there's dissension and division, it's always somebody walking by the flesh. Maybe everybody, but at least somebody. And that is against what the Spirit wants, which is no dissensions and no uh, divisions and unity and peace. Okay? Then he goes on and he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is This is our famous passage, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Let's not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Okay, see, he comes back to this quarreling with each other and all that. Okay, when you read all of that and you understand who he's writing to, you see why I say this is the the key to solving problems, is Christians have an obligation to walk by the Spirit, but we don't always choose to. And a lot of Paul's writings is, make the right choice. You know, yes, you're saved. Yes, you're going to heaven. And some Christians turn it clear around to negate grace. And say, well, i got to quit having a temper tantrum because I won't get in heaven. No, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But as Christians, we are to walk by the Spirit. So choose the right thing. Okay. Let's spend just a little bit of time as we close about how do we make the right decision? How do we do this? I mean, this is one of these things that I always told people this is very simple. It's very simple, but it's not easy. Lots of things are simple, but not easy. This one's simple. How can you live the best life from now on? Always choose to walk by the Spirit. Is that simple? Yeah, I mean, black and white, A and B, binary. Choose the flesh, choose the spirit. Well, just choose the spirit. Very, very simple. Not easy. Not easy at all. In fact, does anybody, do you know anybody that 
you could say that they always make the right decision. We know some people that seem to, you know, that seem to really have it kind of figured out. Of course, we don't know their whole life 24-7, and they probably picked the wrong one sometime. The only one who ever did it every time was Jesus. And that's how he did it. Some people don't understand that. Some people think Jesus never, he was sinless because he was God. Jesus was not sinless because he was God. He was a human. He was sinless because he always chose spirit over flesh. How do I know that? Got any proof for that, Tandy? Yeah, Jesus said so. John eight twenty nine. Jesus said, I always do what pleases him. I always do what pleases the Father. Okay? Jesus sometimes probably didn't even have to think about it. His will aligned with that of his Father, so he just did that. He knew it. But he had to decide sometimes. I know that because it says he was tempted in every way like we are. Okay? If he was tempted, that means he had to make a choice. My flesh wants to do this, but I know the Spirit wants me to do this. i got to decide. And we got a couple of pictures of him doing that deciding, don't we? Of the biggies in the garden. How'd that one go? What did Jesus say? He said, all right, Father, I know what you want. I know what you want. And I'm going to tell you, I don't want to do that. My flesh doesn't want to do that. So, can we work out another plan? Well, Jesus really asked that. Um, that's how he struggled with this. He said, I know what you want me to do, but I don't want to do it. Could we work out another plan? And at the end of it, what did he say? But, I want another plan. But, if that's the plan, I'll do it. I will always choose what pleases you. Now, that's, you know, the biggie, the hardest ever probably, but he made that choice. And how he made that choice and the circumstances may tell us something about how we make the right decisions. Jesus probably made some of them just real quick. But some of them he didn't just make a snap decision. A number of times in his ministry, what did he do before he made a choice? He went off and prayed all night. Okay? Sometimes we, when we realize that we're struggling between something in the flesh and something in the spirit, say, I don't know how to make the right decision. Well, you tried praying all night. You know, I don't know if it'll help, but Jesus thought it did. Give it a shot. It might help you decide between flesh and spirit. Uh, So we can learn a few things from Jesus on how to make decisions, but it still comes down to us making that decision between flesh and spirit. Now, is that concept 
a very simple concept, even though it's not easy, is that, let's go back to start, is that capable of changing lives? It's capable if we'd stop and do it, if we'd think of it that way. Trouble is, we don't often think of it that way. In marriages, in individual sin problems, in marriage problems, when things start to go wrong, what's usually running the whole operation? Flesh. He knows what he wants and she knows what she wants. And the flesh gets to running the whole thing. Okay? If the spirit was introduced, what's the spirit want in this? What's God say about this? Okay? It might turn out different. You know? In fact, you, you can break it down to the flesh being selfishness in some ways. Uh, the longer I live, I think that's... The answer to most of our problems is selfishness. People want what they want, which is another way of saying walking by the flesh. I'm sure you've heard me quote it before, but somebody said, two unselfish people never got divorced. Never happened. They walked by the Spirit. They solved the problems of Marriages, families, congregations, walk by the Spirit. It's not easy, but it's the answer. All right, hope that helps you in your walk this week and read Paul's admonitions to keep in step with the Spirit and make the right choices. If you're here tonight and have some public need, Mark's going to come lead us in a song. And If you have a need to respond, come to the front. Brother Mark, uh, let's stand and sing.